In honor of Women's History Month, we're discussing the challenges that women face from unequal treatment to gender bias. Women often face unique hurdles when it comes to accessing quality care. Today, we'll be hearing from a special guest who will share her health journey and the challenges she faced while navigating the healthcare system as a woman. Let's dive in and explore the issues that women face in healthcare. Welcome health professionals to Chart Life Podcast, where it's all about you. Your stories of challenges and triumphs with news and resources just for you. I'm your host, Chantel Howard. Thanks for joining me. Our guest today is Elsia Bignall. Elsia is a native of Nashville, Tennessee. She received a Bachelor of Psychology in Psychobiology from Southern Adventist University. After receiving her undergraduate degree, Elsia proceeded to pursue a master's degree in healthcare administration at Western Kentucky University. She's currently working with the healthcare system as a project manager. In her free time, Elsia enjoys traveling and playing her violin. But before we begin, let's take a moment to celebrate the achievements and contributions of women throughout history and the ongoing efforts towards gender equality. Happy Women's History Month. Elsia, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for having me. As I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking to myself, growing up, I personally didn't hear much about things like endometriosis and uterine fibroids. But now I can count on both hands, at least, the number of people that I know who have either been diagnosed or have had treatment. And I don't think this is because it didn't exist, but it just wasn't discussed as much. Has this been your experience or were you educated on these type of things at an early age? Oh, no. So I come from a West Indian background. Both my parents are Jamaican and no one spoke about any sort of health issue until maybe the family member passed away. That's when it was, oh, auntie, uncle, whomever had X disease. And when I was diagnosed with endometriosis and uterine fibroids, I remember kind of talking to my mom and being like, well, how were your cycles? How were your periods? What about your sisters? And just trying to find my unit and understand what was going on. And that's when I found out many of my aunts suffered from uterine fibroids, multiple surgeries, or even endometriosis. And on some level, I, I felt betrayed because my family didn't discuss this. But then I also realized that that was just not the norm to talk about. Like those were very much taboo subjects to ever bring up. But I pretty much rallied with my cousins and I said, hey, which one of you has this? I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do something here. You know, I'm trying to figure it out. So yeah, so when I got diagnosed in Official diagnosis, I would say, is October of 2017, and that's when I had an official title to put onto what I was feeling symptomatically. That was, I just remember, I feel like that was like a day that the world went really quiet in my mind. And when my doctor patted me on the knee and was like, I'm so sorry this is happening to you, but you know, there's really great treatment options, but we really want to target your fertility. I just heard like, meow, 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 meow from her <laughs> because in my mind, I was like, kids, me, I want to make it. I want to see tomorrow. So I always look back at that moment and say, okay, that was when I really started double down and getting information, researching. There's a lot of really great research that's happening 
but it's really hard to kind of cultivate that work. There's a couple of studies that I've been research like recently researching and they are trying to find and see if there are genetic links and why are black women or women of, you know, West African descent two to three times more likely than their white women counterparts to have uterine fibroids. So a lot of questions are kind of being done and I did my research for this and there's actually a house bill that is to talk about um, endometrius coverage, awareness, research and education act and that bill happened in 2002 and it's house bill HR 7974 if you're interested in reading it. So well, yes. thank you for sharing that. I actually did not know that that existed. Before we dive into it a little bit more, can you explain the difference between endometriosis versus uterine fibroids? Absolutely. Endometriosis, according to the Cleveland Clinic, is a condition where tissue similar to the lining of your uterus grows in other parts of your body. And when this tissue grows in the wrong place, that's when you start to experience really uncomfortable symptoms. And the symptoms vary from maybe bloating, nausea, constipation, and endometriosis can be found everywhere in your body. There's a couple of physicians that they've even found endometriosis um, in some of the, like, the lining of people's hearts, as well as in the diaphragm, which is crazy to think about. And then uterine fibroids are defined as non-cancerous growths of the uterus that appear during childbearing years. And the sizes vary. I have both. And my doctor says that I am a uterine fibroid grower. So I constantly will have fibroids. There are things that can be possibly done to slow the progression of growth. And that's more into like you working with your physician that you feel comfortable or your healer of choice and kind of looking and seeing like what is your system doing and for me the best thing to do was to get an IUD as well as you know doing my checks with endometriosis and so every cycle that I have I'm checking to make sure like what are my symptoms looking like how long are my cycles since I know my big symptom with uterine fibroids was the continuous bleeding that I had and it would never lighten. It was just continuous, like day in, day out. And so I know that if I get to a spot where I'm having really deep cramps or I'm having really harsh pains, that's when I'm saying, okay, something else is going on and I need to schedule an appointment with my doctor, get an ultrasound and kind of see how large my fibroids are going and, and growing. So you have to know your body yes. and advocate for yourself. Absolutely. You touched a little bit on when you first had that diagnosis, but what was that moment for you when you personally realized there is something awry with my body, something is not right here? There was probably maybe in high school, maybe around 15 or 16, where I really felt like my periods were just unbearable. I was popping ibuprofen more than my counterparts. And I was saying to myself, am I okay? But I realized that a lot of like, my black friends were taking similar doses of painkillers. And if people that I hang around around mostly are also doing this, I guess this has to be okay. But I just remember probably I was around 16 or so and I, I couldn't get out of the bed for school. I was in horrible pain, I was hunched over, but of course I was, oh, you know, this too shall pass. I remember going to my pediatrician at the time and saying, I'm having really weird pains, it hurts. And she was, well, your body could just be getting used to your cycles and puberty and everything. And I remember saying to myself, asking, is this normal? And she was like, yes, it is normal to have painful periods. 
that was the norm of the time was normal painful period it's okay to experience pain but there there's a difference of pain when you're white knuckling your desk at school and you're like just breathe through it or you can't walk up the stairs because you're getting lightheaded or you can't move the way that you're supposed to move because you're in severe pain or you're doubled over you're crying and everyone's like just take an ibuprofen and i think probably then and then maybe into my college years i never really looked at the light like the proper labeling of dosing for ibuprofen and what i didn't realize is it's not good to go over a certain level of milligrams within a 24-hour period. And I'm pretty sure I was always going over the limit. Within that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, to the point that I look back and I say like, oh my words, uh, I really hope I didn't do a lot of damage to my liver in length of time. So I think 16 is when I really started having questions around it. But then the people I was engaging with or talking to also said, it's normal. You know, we've all had these like you're, you're quote unquote on track. But I think I got to a spot when um, my first big girl job when I was living in Ohio. And that's when I said, no, there are other things that I can do about this and I can just get an IUD. So my first IUD I had back in 2016 sometime. And apparently I expelled it by the time <laughs> I really had, I was in the throes of horrible pain toward the middle of 2019 uh, with my diagnosed officially endo journey. What was that like for you to basically get health professionals to take you seriously? I really said, you know, I don't like the answer I'm getting and I'm not gonna sit for that. I was looking for other physicians. And at the time I didn't know of all the other Facebook groups and things that I'm now a part of. I didn't know of that before. So it was really just me saying like, okay, who are the other doctors that are not just gonna be pushing, worrying about your fertility versus getting me help. Work was really ramping up and I was very, very sick. And so I just made the decision to move back home to Nashville. And when I got home, I started just texting as many physician friends that I knew. And I said, hi, I'm back home. I need help. My body feels as though it is dying on me and I need someone to take me seriously. Who are endo doctors? Who are uterine fibroid doctors? And that's when I got my doctor who I have and she's been fantastic. And the blessing of her timeline was, I went to go see her early February of 2019 and literally had surgery three weeks later. Magically had an opening for her surgery. And I'm so glad that I did is because I didn't even realize how dire my situation was in terms of blood loss I had been having consistently. My iron levels were really bad. My red blood cell count was really low. She even said, she's like, if we had waited until May, which was the original date of 2019 to have the surgery, she said, I don't think you would have made it. Looking for a reliable source of healthcare news? Chart Life has you covered. We're dedicated to bringing you the most up-to-date, relevant, and reliable news that matters to you as a healthcare professional. Chart Life is committed to providing accurate, unbiased news coverage that you can trust. And with our user-friendly website, finding the information you need has never been easier. So why wait? Visit chartlife.com today and stay informed about the latest developments in healthcare. The news you need to stay ahead in your field. That's life with a Y, chartlife.com. And that scared me. I think that's when everything felt really tight in my brain. Like, oh, okay, I'm so glad like this, this was an ordained 
thing for me to come back home to find this doctor and to be with her and her help me through all of this. So you were made to jump over, you know, so many hurdles doing all of this. Was there ever a time that you just wanted to give up? Daily daily. The hard part for me with what the pain I was experiencing, I would always have a really burning sensation. My fibroids were so large that if I laid on my back, you could actually feel the fibroid if you touched my lower abdomen. And they felt like rocks. They were very hard. And day in and day out, when you when you move about and you just feel so down, you want to give up because you're like, what, what else can I do? I mean, I was really good with walking and trying to be as active as I possibly could because I knew that I'm going to have to go through a surgery. So I kept on really trying to ramp up my exercise routine. But there are some days that swinging your leg to get out of your bed, that was extreme pain. Putting on a seatbelt, it got so bad that I would actually have a pillow in my car and I would put it in between my lower abdomen and the seatbelt because that small pressure would be too much. And I think that a lot of people, because it is such a invisible diagnosis and condition, everyone's like, oh, but you know, she's smiling, she's, she's active, she's doing everything. How could she really be in pain? And it's, well, because no one wants to really give you the answer of, oh, I'm not feeling well. And then everyone say, okay, but that's okay. You can power through, you can power through. And that's not really what you want to hear. So you just go and put on the mask of everything's okay. I'm fine. Even though you're wearing an adult diaper and caring about your day because you, you've you bled through everything. So I think that there's also the element of shame around that and probably even stigma from having a period because I, I I know for myself growing up and going to school you'd always have your cute little period pouch and I hated that thing I absolutely hated it you know like you're tucking it into your lunchbox or something and then just the random time that you didn't actually zip up your lunch container and it falls out and you're like oh my gosh did everybody see that and of course maybe some people did but you're just, you feel like these waves of shame of being like, oh my goodness, like, why can't I just literally like wave a pad in my teacher's face and be like, I need to go do that thing, you know? Right, there's, and there's so many, you know, like negative connotations associated with women's period. Yeah, you know, you sneeze wrong. I mean, even nowadays, if you sneeze wrong, you're like, oh no. Especially nowadays. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> right, at my ripe age. There's always that level of panic. There is a lot of shame around that. And I, I wish we were in a, better side of community or society where it's not such a, a shameful plug anymore or it becomes that she's on her shark week or whatever and i'm like are you kidding me but you i know, might I, attack you right exactly if i bite you you know why so <laughs> yes Black women have been disproportionately impacted by healthcare disparities in the U.S. You touched on some of them. Mm -hmm. Maternal mortality rates are significantly higher for Black women compared to white women. And also they are three to four times more likely to suffer complications or die from pregnancy-related complications. Black women are also more likely to suffer from chronic health conditions like hypertension, diabetes, and heart disease. All of these can lead to poorer health outcomes and higher rates of mortality. Black women are less likely to receive timely and appropriate health care, including preventative care and cancer screenings. This can result in delayed diagnoses and poor health outcome. Why do you think this issue is so important? Why do you believe it's so important to address this? As a Black woman, it's important because my health is important 
as anybody else. And I understand why there can be a lot of stigma from the Black community of going into a healthcare setting because of what has been done in the past. I mean, you can, there are countless, countless examples of where Black people's bodies, DNA, everything has been taken without consent. And I understand that. And a lot of times, if you don't understand the system that is quote unquote supposed to help you, and if you go there showing up and you feel as though someone is not trying to help you, why would you go back? That's just a simple biologic response to didn't have a good experience there. There's no need for me to go back. And I think that is probably the largest part of the stigma as to why when we do go and get assessed, so many things, we have so many more things that need to be addressed. And I believe that there is work that's being done to try and alleviate the stigmas attached to what we are seeing. However, it just really grinds my gears where you see like lawmakers say things like, well, if you just remove the Black women from our mortality rates, our rates look good. I saw it and I watched the clip and I started to cry because I said, why would you remove a full demographic? If that is a demographic, a part of your state and you say, well, if you remove it, the numbers look great, right? I said to myself like, wow, here's an opportunity for you to actually stand up and say, let's deep dive into what's going on. Let's see what resources we can pump into the community to, to alleviate or to help to maybe bring more mobile clinics or whatever needs to be done. No, you saw it as a, not a part of me or not a, not a part of what I need to be you know talking about right now. So just remove it. It's going to be all right. As Black women, a lot of times it feels like we are just dismissed from society in whatever facets, but I feel as though in healthcare, the numbers are just really, really high. And I mean, it's made me very scared just seeing the numbers for mortality rates or just hearing stories of what Black women have to go through within the aspect of childbirth that have made me really wonder, is this something that I want to pursue? Or what will my community look like outside of a hospital as an option? What does that look like for me as well? It needs to be talked about more. I think it really needs to be talked about more. I really hope that people start looking into their community and seeing what are the alternatives or how you can start to slowly get into healthcare, maybe looking and seeing if there's a holistic practitioner or somebody else that you feel really comfortable with. But I feel so more than anything, it's you asking your friends, where do you go for care? Do you like your doctor? Do you feel like your doctor is listening to you and make and changing the narrative? I think the change starts with when we start asking within our community, how are you seeking health now? And I do note that there is an organization that is like a women focused health profession, and they really kind of they carve out longer than the allotted uh, time for a regular doctor's visit, they actually extend it to an hour so that they are sitting there and actually listening to what you're going through versus like the quick little 15 to 30 minute slot that you might have. And you just feel like you don't get everything out because if you haven't gone to a provider in a very long time, you're going to have a litany of, of, of items to go through. So I think it's just really tapping into your community. And I know I, that's what I did. That's how I found my doctor. I literally was like, it's asking your community, and if not your community, then Googling who and where 
those, those connectors can be made. After going through everything you had to endure and learning to advocate for yourself, do you feel confident in placing your trust in the healthcare system? I do. I do feel confident. I would say maybe like 83% confident because you'll, you know, I, I think that's a safe number to kind of put it on. Um, I, but I also, I'm, I'm 100% confident in myself to make sure that I'm going to find the provider that's going to be best for me. And, and if I can't find the provider, I'm going to rely back on my network. I'm going to deep dive into a community. I'm going to reach out to like health professionals like yourself and your network that you have and just see where I can make those connections happen. I, I am confident and I would love if anybody needs help with saying, well, how do you go about it? You read your physician reviews. Honestly, the best thing that they've ever probably created was health grades. Going through and reading and leaving reviews. Now, this probably stems from my psych days, but I'm the first person to sign up for a survey after a call. I love it. I get a thrill from doing so because how else are people supposed to get a better understanding of the goods and services that are being provided? Going and reading those reviews of physicians is wonderful. Tapping into maybe endometriosis groups or uterine fibroid groups and seeing this. A lot of times they do have like a location on those websites where you can say, this is a physician I'm seeing or I'm going to. You can find somebody hopefully close to your community so that you can rely on that. And that just helps develop your confidence as well. And it's also great for further research down the road if there is a leader in a particular women-related issue that you can tap into because that just means if there's work to be done, work will be done. Before we go, will you give us the best advice you have for our audience, mind, body, spirit, and or emotion? Yes. Best advice for mind is take little pauses during the day. That could be a walk. That could be a step away from your computer. Close your eyes and just remain somber, remain quiet. There's something very beautiful in taking time for yourself to recenter during your day that helps you get through it because we're so inundated by request all the time. Taking the time for yourself helps to replenish you. And for body, listen to your body. If I could go back, I would have listened to my body sooner and I would have asked more questions. I think listening to your body is a key for spirit. For me, it was prayer. It was a lot of quiet time with God. It was being connected to God because after my first surgery, that was an open surgery and I couldn't do anything. So I had a lot of recovery time of me and God and going through believing in his promises for my life and saying, I'm going to wrestle with this right now. And honestly, take time to cry. It's okay. It's healing. It is healing. Crying is good. Let whatever emotion is coming through that is not injuring you or others, let it rise and just know that you are human, you're doing the very best that you can and it's gonna be fine. The disparities that black women face are a result of complex interplay of factors such as systemic racism, implicit bias and social determinants of health. Addressing these disparities requires a multifaceted approach that includes increasing access to healthcare, addressing bias in the healthcare delivery, and addressing the social determinants of health. Our special guest today was Elsia Bignall. Elsia, thank you for joining us and sharing your health journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
And if you'd like to keep up with Elsia, this is how you can do it. Absolutely. So my Instagram handle is EVAB underscore one three. So EVAB underscore one three. Thank you guys for tuning in to Chart Life Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media at chart underscore life. That's life with a Y. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Chart Life Podcast. That's life with a Y. New episodes are available every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you soon.